the pod class is in session. I'm your host, Jamie Anderson, and today we're talking with Daly about gender equity in the classroom, why it's important, how it can look in different areas of a school community, and some different classroom strategies that teachers can use to support gender equity. Before we jump into our conversation today, just wanted to situate our conversation in the land. And to do so, I'm going to call on the writing and scholarship of Dr. Alex Wilson, who talks about the importance in Indigenous ways of knowing and being of acknowledging the land. She writes, the land that we live on today is made up of our ancestors. The food that we eat, for the most part, is grown from the soil that our ancestors went back to when they died. And the animals and plants in our world have also grown out of and been nourished by this soil. We thank the spirits of animals, minerals, and plants, and we turn to them for strength and continuity. We understand that the spiritual, physical, emotional, and intellectual parts of ourselves are equally important and interrelated. When one aspect of a person is unhealthy, the entire person is affected. And this too is true for the entire community. When one aspect of the community is missing, the entire community will suffer in some way. I think this is really important for us to reflect on as we come to this conversation today, not only through the historical lens of gender equity as being very much interrelated with colonization. I think the Indian Act, Dr. Alex Wilson writes, is one of the first documents that regulates sexuality, and it does so through the lens of regulating Indigenous identity, indigeneity. So as we come to this conversation about change and inclusion concerning gender equity in all genders, it's important to understand the historic role of gender policing and regulation, sexuality policing and regulation through the Indian Act and through colonization. I think also we can reflect on Dr. Alex Wilson's words around the importance of seeing all parts of ourselves as equally important and connected. Because when little kiddos, when students are coming to school spaces, their gender and gender identities, which all students have, very much are shaping their experiences from start to finish, right? Those pieces can't easily be separated out. So as you come into this conversation, we can reflect on the historical connection to gender equity and inequity, but we also can kind of see through what Dr. Alex Wilson has said, the importance and interconnection of identity and well-being. You know, when parts of ourselves are, are missing or unhealthy, we're not well, we can't be well. And this is true for the community as well. When our gender diverse trans and non-binary students are erased or not acknowledged or, or don't have that feeling of belonging, that affects everyone. Just a reminder to our listeners that podcasts are portable. You can travel with them. And of course, it's a great opportunity while you listen to take some time to tend to your well-being, whether that's heading outside to enjoy the beautiful spring or summer weather, or maybe winter if you're listening to us, you know, months from now, or perhaps it's just kind of moving around the house, doing some stretching, taking care of some chores, whatever works best for you. We just want to invite you again to take this time to multitask for your well-being. So if you don't mind, Daly, if you could share with us some of the things that you like to do to tend to your well-being. Hello. I don't sit still very well. So often tending to my well-being is moving around. 
I also, I just love to listen to things while I go for walks. So that sense of like, if I was listening to this podcast, I would probably be outside going for a walk around my neighborhood. And I find I like learn and listen better if I'm using my whole body. So definitely that from like a physical point of view. And then I think the other sort of habit I'm trying to cultivate that my sister has really been the lead on is about really developing my relationship to my yeses and my noes. So like, what really do I want to do? And what do I not want to do? And really honoring that sort of internal expertise, if that makes sense around like, this is a yes, or like, this is a maybe, or like, I have no interest in doing that today. (laughs) And that's actually really okay. And like, thinking about inclusion, right? Like, it's so important for folks, especially those of us who live at intersections in a system that doesn't necessarily prioritize our yes and no, to really rebuild your relationship to it. And so my sister has been doing it for a while. And it's sort of a new habit for me, but I I'm working on it. Really tuning in to yes, no, I'm not sure. I love that. I think that's fantastic. That sense of agency is super mm-hmm. important when it comes to well-being. And, and I really appreciate your connection to like how we exist in systems and structures that take away agency and how that impacts our, our own well-being. Great introduction and nice to meet you by way of your lens on, on how you tend to your well-being. Wondering if you can share a little bit more about yourself, introduce yourself for the audience, and maybe you share a little bit about how you have come to the work of, you know, this umbrella term, gender equity. Absolutely. My name is Daly Lang. My pronouns are they, them. And I'm a white, disabled, um, non-binary settler on Treaty 6. I'm also in currently today wearing the hat of being the SOGI 123 program lead for Alberta. So working with educators across Alberta to really create classrooms and schools and school divisions that are inclusive of everyone. I come to this work in part based on my own experiences as a non-binary person. You know, when I work, I sit with a picture of myself in grade five on my desk. (laughs) That really feels like one of the people I'm doing this work for. Um, as well as an adult who's participating in the parenting of two really wonderful young folks who happen to be fantastically gender creative. And so for me, it's quite personal work that I've been doing for over 15 years, but it really comes from my heart. That's how I ended up in this conversation with you today. Brilliant. Thank you, Daly. I do have to take a moment to just marvel. Um, I'm a trans teacher, and often when it comes to this work of supporting queer, gender creative, gender diverse kiddos in school spaces. It's often not like trans and non-binary people who are having these conversations. It's often like those conversations are are being had about, but maybe with less involvement from the trans and queer and gender creative communities. So I just have to appreciate that we're both coming to this space as personally invested and involved folks whose mm-hmm. lived and living experiences can inform this work. Absolutely. Awesome. So you do work with the ARC Foundation. I'm wondering if you can maybe just start us off with a little bit about what the ARC Foundation does. And you also mentioned that you're the program lead for SOGI123. So these are some acronyms and, and organizational pieces that maybe we could start at a place of defining and sharing a little bit more about what that work looks like and what those terms mean. Absolutely. So ARC is a national organization. 
And our vision is a world where children and youth of all sexual orientations and gender identities live authentic lives. So like simple, but not necessarily easy. And for us, we're really focused on that acronym ARC. So awareness, respect, and capacity in SOGI inclusive K-12 education. So we're really interested in how do you create a school space? How do you create a learning environment where everyone gets to be all of themselves, that they get to bring every part they want to be present in the classroom and it is welcomed. SOGI 123 is sort of the specific program that we do that work with. We really focus on helping educators make schools safer and more inclusive for all students, because all students have sexual orientations and gender identities. And we really focus on supporting policy, environment, and teaching resources. So trying to take a more holistic approach. And I think what's really unique about SOGI123 is that we're really focused on educators. There's so much good work happening around creating inclusive spaces and not that much necessarily focused on educators and how to really build their awareness, their respect of, and their capacity for doing this work. And so I have the utmost delight of like meeting those SOGI champions across Alberta who are doing great work in their schools, in their divisions, and actually in collaboration across the whole province. Thank you. I, I, just had the pleasure of having a conversation with uh, Lauren Alston, who has done work with GSAs across Alberta. So gay straight alliances or gender and sexual orientation alliances. And you make a really interesting point about how there's a lot of effort and energy maybe being directed towards inclusive environments in maybe those GSA specific spaces. And so you're maybe putting all of the eggs in one basket around GSAs without actually engaging in support of all of the teachers. So I think your reflection on the importance for all educators to have that awareness and capacity as an area to continue to engage in that work. I I really appreciate that Uh, because ultimately we can't put all of the weight of this change on GSAs, these student run clubs, rather we have to see it as a whole, whole system approach, which really aligns with the comprehensive school health approach that we take with those pillars of, you know, policy, physical and social environments, teaching and learning uh, as well. And just to add that GSAs are really important and they can often play a really big part when classrooms and schools aren't there yet. While we're doing the work of expanding inclusion in the classroom or in our policies or other spaces, GSAs are just such an important, safer space for young folks to go. And so in that sense, we really think that we're in our own lane, but we're cheering on (laughs) everybody else as we go, if that makes sense of like GSAs are part of what we do for sure. But Mm -hmm. really knowing that like they do such important work while we are simultaneously sort of expanding the capacity for, you know, the students who aren't out, the students who maybe don't have parental support to go to those spaces or be there after school or but we're big cheerleaders of GSAs for sure. And continuing to kind of burgeon the whole school support for those GSAs as well. Let's talk gender equity. I know you spoke about SOGI as like sexual orientations and and gender identities. We Mm -hmm. use the phrase gender equity. It's this big kind of catch-all umbrella term. And I think our lens in engaging in this is like less about traditional binary understanding of gender equity and kind of broadening that understanding to capture the experiences of 
all folks and the diverse experiences of gender in school spaces and the complex and layered experiences of gender-based discrimination. So can you share with us what does gender equity mean in the context of your work? You know, what does it look like in physical settings, classroom environments, teacher attitudes, policies, and so on? Absolutely. Gender equity, sort of the big view, maybe we zoom out, would be that people of all genders get to live authentic lives. They get to be themselves. They get to be their whole selves. And when I say all genders, I mean both cisgender people, so people whose sex assigned at birth and their gender align, and transgender people, so folks whose sex assigned at birth and gender differ, and that includes non-binary people. So the sense that gender is not a barrier to being your whole self and living your authentic life. And what's particular in schools is that when you create a space where there's gender equity, students get to be more than their gender, right? They get to be all the tiny fantastical parts of themselves that they want to bring because they're not having to focus on getting their gender needs met or, you know, in some situations, hiding who they are. And that's a full-time job when you don't feel safe to be who you are. So really, gender equity makes the possibility for us to be so much more than our gender while still getting to include our gender in who we are. I have a friend whose child is in elementary and going to a school that I would say is really succeeding in being a soji-inclusive and a gender equity kind of school. And when they came out as trans, their parent asked them, like, well, does your school have a GSA? And this kid looked at their parent and said, the whole school is a GSA. And this sense that like gender equity means that people get to be themselves in all aspects of the school. There's not a place where they have to edit themselves down or you know hide themselves feels really important. Practical components, there's so many pieces. I feel like I'm about to like juggle and I'm terrible at juggling, but let's try and juggle all the practical components, right? So gender equity in a school means that you're genuinely welcoming of the diversity of people that exist in your school. So students, educators, staff, parents, family, all of them are welcomed. You know, like we like to say, like, you are welcomed here and your safety and well-being are considered and prioritized. So not only it's like, oh, you can come, but sort it out on your own. But a gender equity school or a SOGI inclusive school would be saying, come, look what we're doing to consider you. And this includes the intersections of people's identity. Because gender equity means that we're not splitting people into parts. So gender equity has to think about race. It has to think about class. It has to think about disability, citizenship, nationality, like all of those pieces need to be present to really welcome the diversity of the people that exist in your school, but let them be who they are. Part of that also is everyone actually gets to see themselves reflected in the space, in the curriculum, in the policies, in the lesson plans, in the story shared, in the like display boards that like, not only are they sort of the only one, but they feel like they see themselves and their experiences and the things that matter to them reflected back to them rather than them being the lone wolf or the odd one out. From an environment 
point of view. There's a lot of different pieces, but just recognizing that every gender has a distinct set of needs, such as a gender-inclusive washroom or change rooms or sport teams, really thinking about what is the physical space as well as the cultural space of the school, who is being included, whose needs are being recognized and met. And I often in this situation like to remind folks that schools are already engaging with gender, right? Like when you're like, we have to talk about gender and washrooms, you already are. You have a boy's washroom and a girl's washroom. That's already engaging in the conversation that different genders need different things. But if we expand our lens of gender beyond the binary, it means we just have more needs to consider when we're building an environment. Not that, you know, those things don't matter, that cisgender students don't matter, or binary gendered students don't matter, but that we actually already have the ability to think about gender in our schools, and we just need to expand our lens to really include all of the genders that are in our schools. In classrooms, they can be use diverse examples in teaching, represent them visually on the walls, display boards that highlight, you know, gender diverse people um, and experiences, even as simple as just asking about pronouns or introducing yourself with your own pronouns. The sense that the classroom really is a space where gender is engaged with in a way that takes the burden off your students. Nobody needs to come out in order to be welcome. And I think the last piece around teacher attitudes is really important. And the place where I see folks really shine is how they orient to the work. And so the first piece around gender equity is that you need to acknowledge that trans and gender diverse students and families are already in your classroom. So even if no one is out in your classroom, in your school, we're there. And so that sense of not waiting for someone to come out and share that with you in order to be doing this work of making sure all genders are welcome. And then being open to learning, right? So from students, from families, from colleagues, it's really a big mind shift. You don't need to be an expert in the knowledge necessarily. You know, when we train folks and it's like, you can't learn every word and words mean different things to different people. But as an educator, you can build your capacity to listen and to learn from people and to integrate that into your classroom day to day. And so really that sense of like, put on your learner hat rather than your expert hat, that fundamental attitude shift really enables gender equity to flourish in your classroom. I really appreciate the really detailed orientation to this work and what it looks like. And, you know, when you speak about the practical components, I know you said it's a lot of juggling, right? Like it's a lot of different pieces to think about. But you also show us that it's not like a stretch, like it's not throwing everything away. It's like we already do this, but how can we do this differently so that it's more expansive so that our values and our attitudes attend to the gender diversity that like you said already exists and also the ways in which all of the students who come into our classroom spaces all the families who attend our schools have these intersecting layered identities and really it's about like you can't possibly know everything but how do you take up a lens of seeing acknowledging yeah, respecting and accounting for those different ways of being that are outside of ourselves. 
obviously SOGI123 is really grounded in research. I'm wondering if you can share with us what the research tells us about the importance of gender equity, specifically gender equity as you've framed it, in school spaces. This is an area that there's great research, and there's more and more great research happening. So if you come to this podcast even a year from now, I recommend you go snoop around and see what's coming out because there's just really good work being done right now. But most generally, if research is showing that a gender-inclusive school benefits all students in the sense of you don't need to be gender diverse in order to benefit from a school or a learning environment that is inclusive in that sense of there's really good research that shows all students, their sense of safety increases when there's not homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, sexism in the classroom. Right. So when we work really hard to make sure that we're not reinforcing inequality in our classroom, all the students feel safer. Establishing safety is not where you learn, right? Like safety is a back brain experience. And so if young folks don't feel safe, we can't ask them to use their whole brain and learn. And so the research really shows us that if we remove homophobia, transphobia, biphobia, sexism from a classroom, students feel much safer and as such are much more likely to be in that state of mind to learn. And that's all students. That's what I think is wonderful about what the research shows us, is that even when we focus on making sure that like students who may be excluded are included, we're making a better learning environment for every student, which to me is like a double win in that sense. And that's students who attended schools that were inclusive, they were way less likely to feel unsafe, They were way less likely to experience bullying based on gender identity, and they were way less likely to miss school. And so this sense of being even able just to come to school and feel comfortable enough to be in the classroom, if we make our schools inclusive, that gets way better for students. And they perform better academically. They're more likely to plan to go to post-secondary. And they're more likely to feel like when a classroom, when a teacher um, is soji inclusive, framing gender equity or gender inclusion, they're more likely to feel like their classmates are also more inclusive, which is really cool. The sense of the leadership in the room has set the tone. Students actually report that they feel safer and more accepted by the students around them. If we really focus in on trans youth, there's some really great research that's coming out of the University of British Columbia right now that shows that trans youth who report feeling high levels of connection with their school, right? And feeling safe, feeling welcome, that gender equity, bring all of yourself all of the time, really leads to connection. Those folks were two times more likely to report good or excellent mental health, right? So it directly impacts mental health for young trans or gender diverse students to feel a sense of connection to their school. And specifically for individual educators, I like to push this one home because I think sometimes we feel like there's just so much to change. But for you as an individual educator, really are explicit and specific about being welcoming in your classroom, in your lesson plans. Trans youth who had a supportive adult inside their home and outside of their home, like even if they have a great family, a really good educator reporting excellent mental health goes up fourfold, four times as likely to say they have good mental health self-reported. 
And that's from just having one person outside of their home. Example, a teacher who like lets them use their name and their pronouns rather than, you know, misgendering them or making them feel like they have to hide that part of themselves. And that also, I never like to go to the suicidality piece, but it's really important because unfortunately a lot of trans and gender diverse youth navigate suicidality when they have someone outside of their home, like you, the educator with the cute little pronoun pin and the rainbow flag on their desk, suicidality significantly decreases too. So for me, it's, it's just like everyone wins when we frame the inclusion of all genders. Students who are cisgender do better. Students who are trans do better. And they do better in the classroom and they do better overall in their well-being. The research sings about the fantastic impact of using a gender equity lens in your classroom and making sure that like every single magic little heart that walks through that door is welcomed and welcomed as they are. I think oftentimes when it comes to policymaking around schools, specifically you know, legislation around schools, trans and gender diverse and queer youth are, I always say, like held hostage in these conversations, but the research shows that it's not like it's not about ideology, it's about well-being and schools doing the job that they set out to do, which is to support students in becoming you know, learners and becoming members of their community. And so we can't allow for a politics of exclusion when the research says like all students, especially those who experience those many layers of barriers, all students benefit. And so we really have to take up that lens of like, this isn't about ideology. This isn't about political disagreement. This is really about what is best for those young people and what mm-hmm. is best for their well-being. So I love what you've shared here. And I think you you really have emphasized again that SOGI inclusion is a pathway to well-being for all students and well-being is necessary for learning. So we have those pieces of health and well-being connected to learning and that can't happen without SOGI inclusion. And I think I would add to that, building on the sense, if we know that, you know, gender equity in the classroom, the inclusion of trans and gender diverse students as welcome, positively impacts all students. That common approach that some folks who oppose inclusive learning spaces falls apart. So that idea that we have to protect students from deviant trans students. Unfortunately, we hear that, right? We need to protect, you know, our cisgender or heterosexual students from these other students. And actually, in not being inclusive of those trans and gender diverse students, you're also hurting your cisgender students. You're actually making them less safe. And so that, like, unfortunate argument, and, you know, like, we work with the living. I'm not here to change anyone's mind. I'm just here to, like, support those who are really gung-ho. Um, yeah. But to name that, like, that argument doesn't hold up statistically. That being gender exclusive, being transphobic in your approach to education hurts all your students. It doesn't protect one group at the expense of another. It hurts all of them. I, I know we are looking at the ARC Foundation's work, SOGI123. So we're looking at policies, environments, teaching resources, teacher attitudes, you know, those classroom experiences as as well of students, because 
our podcast is really geared towards teachers. I'm wondering if you can highlight some of those teaching and classroom strategies or whole school approaches, practices that support gender equity. I know you've offered some key information. Maybe we could zoom in a little bit to some specific examples of what SOGI inclusion looks like through teaching and in day-to-day classroom and school experiences. I want to start back in the research in that sense of that wider school practices are important. And so I'm going to tell you, I don't always like to be like, teachers, it's all up to you. (laughs) And what the research also shows us is that having school or division level leadership when it comes to this work significantly reduces the barriers that educators identify. So there's always reasons why, first of all, just doing more work can be hard or like, you know, being the first one to stick your neck out can be scary. And the research shows it's out of Manitoba, which is really cool. It's Canadian specific really shows us that when school leadership, when the whole school comes on board, when, you know, your your principal is flying that flag and, and supporting those students too, it reduces the barriers for educators. So if, as I share these teaching strategies, you're like, whew, because you don't necessarily have your leadership on board, that makes sense. And so just to name that, like, school leadership's really important, and I don't want to put it all on the backs of educators while also knowing that educators just have like so much power to impact the students in their classroom. So that's my caveat to going into like the specifics for individual educators is like, if it feels really overwhelming because you don't have school support, that's totally legitimate. And like, let's find all these tiny little ways that we can do it that maybe feel less risky if you're not supported. Um, So for teachers, where I always start is like start wearing your SOGI lens, right? So sexual orientation, gender identity. I think sexual orientation comes in here anyway, because often bullying based on sexuality is actually about reading someone's gender expression. So often it's actually part of that gender equity lens of like, how are people being treated based on the assumptions we're making about their gender and what that means about their sexual orientation. But really like, I always envision, you cannot see me, but I'm taking my hands and I'm putting glasses up to my face, like rainbow lenses that we put up and we start by actually paying attention to how gender is showing up in your classroom already, because it is. I like to use the example that if I was thinking about trying to get direction somewhere and I was like, I need to go to the art gallery. I was on the phone and the person who was helping me was like, well, where are you now? And I was like, I don't know. The likelihood of being able to give me a roadmap to get to the AGA would be pretty hard. But the same thing can be said for gender equity. If we don't know where we are, it's really hard to know where we want to do the work first. So really start by looking at your classroom. Who's being named? Who's being affirmed? Who's reflected back at themselves and who isn't? And that could be thinking about your latest novel study and like who are the characters in it and if there are gender diverse characters how are they represented right so really thinking about how gender shows up in the classroom do you use boys and girls um my oldest nibbling nibbling is the gender neutral term for your sibling's child is non-binary came home one day and was like in music class they say boys over here and girls over there where do i go And I was like, well, you do whatever you want. That was my response. (laughs) 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 You get to do, but we're doing gender all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And so for educators, I'm like, let's just start with what's there. Look at your math exam, look at your pieces, right? And just see how gender is already operating in order to know like where we are and then thinking about where we want to go. What do we need to do to make sure that like all genders are represented and welcomed and celebrated in our classroom? Can I just jump in for one second? Because I feel like that example is such a great example. Uh, I mean, horrible that that's, of course, your your nibblings experience of being divided up and not being accounted for in the classroom space. But I think when it comes to gender, the argument is is about developmental appropriateness and, and age appropriateness. And I think your example really highlights that like gender is actually concretely and expressly taken up so much, almost more, I would argue, in elementary settings, in the division of like boys here, girls here, like, you know, teaching about family and identity in such concrete, specific ways. And so the argument even kind of falls apart that gender is not appropriate, or these conversations are not appropriate for, for elementary students, because it sounds like the experience of your nibbling specifically, and, and in many classrooms, like that is actually where it is most engaged with. So I'm wondering if you can like maybe even share a little bit about this Soji lens in the elementary classroom and and how you see those strategies to shift to a more kind of gender equity approach in those elementary classrooms in ways that are age appropriate, because often it is it is described as not age appropriate. Absolutely. It is age appropriate in the sense of most trans and gender diverse folks know their gender way before they even hit elementary, right? Like gender development is very early. And elementary is a place that we, like you said, we talk about families. We talk about all of these pieces quite regularly. And so this sense of it is completely appropriate to welcome all of your students from the first day they go to school in kindergarten. And in the sense of like, there are so many great books on our website. We have a book list specifically for like kindergarten grade one, where we really just create space to acknowledge that there's lots of different people in the world and that like families look different, you know? And for me, SOGI inclusion, gender equity creates space for all students. Because if we take down this idea that there's only one way of being in the world that gets recognized, that one way of being doesn't include a lot of students. What if you only have one parent? What if your grandparents raise you? What if you live with your auntie? or your mom's sibling. Those exclusions run really deep beyond what we think of as like supporting trans and gender diverse students. And I think like equity is a lens that little folks get and that they want to understand. That sense of like, what books do we read? You know, how do we organize our students in more interesting ways, right? Like helping them learn about each other. We always did it by like, find someone who's born in the same month as you or like things like that, that students actually learn about each other and learn to like be connected to each other and be interested in each other. And that difference is really exciting. That curiosity is is a tool for learning. And so for me, it's completely age appropriate. And if not the exact time to support folks to have a relationship to difference, that's affirming and positive rather than oppositional. Because by the time we get to junior high or high school, if we're having to undo this sort of oppositional negative association with people being different than us or learning about new people, that's not what we want. That's so much more work to have to undo it. Versus with young folks, they're eager, they're curious, and they're really building that foundation of understanding that our world is fantastically diverse. And that is a good thing. 
That is a really, really good thing and an interesting thing and a fun thing and a silly thing. And so elementary is like, that's one of the most productive places to be doing gender inclusion work. I love that. And then you, you're not having to undo it later on where like I've had so many conversations with my older elementary, junior high, high school students about, you know, simple things like pink is not a girl color. That's actually how we construct these associations. There's all of these historical layers around it. And that is not a concrete fact. That's like a construct that has been kind of implemented over time. And if you have those conversations earlier on, like you say, like you're not having to undo it later on. And you're also opening those doors and possibilities for them as opposed to narrowing student experiences by constructing things in these really specific concrete ways at a young age. I love that. I really appreciate that. Yeah, I think for me, it's really to acknowledge that like this work is possible on all subjects, just as trans and gender diverse people exist across all spectrums of things. So can this inclusion work? I like to say it's not easy but every little piece counts. So a teaching strategy, again, of having books in the classroom. For me, it's about don't make it about one student. Just make it the regular day-to-day practice of your classroom, that there's books that represent the diversity of the people who are in the world, the same ways that you want your books to be, or your examples, or the people in your math question to be representative of different races, different abilities, different languages, We're building a really important component of citizenship, which is living, embracing, and being comfortable and excited about difference, about diversity. We often use the example of my dreaded subject of math, where like the question isn't Bill and his wife, but it's maybe, you know, Ahmed and his boyfriend, or using a gender neutral pronouns, or, you know, using Zizir, a version of a pronoun in those math questions, in those times when we're telling little stories, because all of those little stories are telling students about the world, even if they're actually just trying to see if they understood the math concept. Absolutely. I think math word problems are really about seeing the opportunities for the language of numeracy in the world around us. And and so it's important for the worlds that we're representing in these word problems to actually represent the worlds that we live in. That also made me think about, there's a, I want to say a newer book out called Queer Ducks. And I think it's like geared towards young adult readers. So, so more towards youth, but really highlights like the, um, I mean, gender is a lens of understanding like human experiences, but so I I don't quite have the proper language to say this, but like gender diversity in the non-human animal world and about the richness of like sexual orientation, diversity and gender diversity amongst different species. Very cool and and really enlightening about like all of the different ways that those things are actually present in nature. And and what an awesome opportunity to have those conversations in your science classes and biology classes. But the real world as we construct it in our typical curriculum is very much in those binaries. So even though SOGI123 is the name of this kind of work, can you share with us like is SOGI123 like a step 123 in this order? Or are we looking at rather than a linear path, a multi-dimensional pathway to achieving gender equity through that SOGI123 program lens? It is definitely the second. So the 123, one is policy and procedure, two is environments. And three is teaching resources. 
they're not linear in the sense of they're all pieces that need to be present in order to be really successful in an inclusive school or an inclusive school division. But you don't have to do one before the other. And if anything, they really like inform each other and support each other. So like policy is really, you know, we talked about leadership, school leadership, division leadership, really reducing the barriers for teachers, for educators. Policy can play a huge role in that, in the sense of knowing you have good, explicit and specific policies, not just one line that says in your anti-bullying that includes gender or gender identity and gender expression, but actually like really teasing out what it is you are committed to in your school, in your school division, and then how you're going to meet that commitment. And so that can really support educators in their work, right? Because there's something to fall back on. Policy for me, when someone signs their kid up for a school, that policy is public. And that's what they're agreeing to. They're really agreeing to what the school has laid out as how they run. And so having really clear gender inclusive policy tells parents that this is what is going to be expected of their student or supporting their child when they go to that school. It's really important. And it needs to not just be a one line, but really good policy that says, what do we do when someone comes out? Where do we change the names? How do we do pronouns? What do we do about sports? Where does a non-binary young person play, right? And having that actually in policy can really support folks in the classroom level. So policy is important, but often things are happening in the classroom way before they get to the detailed policy level. Environments are also really important in that sense of having a SOGI inclusive or a gender inclusive physical space. That can be, you know, having bathrooms, change rooms, but also just like having posters up on the wall and events like pride or pride flags up the sense of like making the school environment reflect all of the students, including the ones who can't be in the boys or the girls washer. I think if we took away some of the politics that can show up in this and just said, some students have nowhere to pee, most folks in a school would say, that's not okay. So really creating environments where students not only see themselves reflected, but their needs are considered and met in meaningful ways. And then teaching resources are a place where there's just so much possibility and so much agency to do really cool things. So these are the day-to-day practices in a classroom. And that can be anywhere from like books like we've talked about to sharing resources between teachers, trainings, could be connected to resources around us. So in Alberta, I often refer folks to Skipping Stone because they just do fantastic supports for parents, for children, for basically anyone connected to trans and gender diverse people. But it can also mean resources for parents. We work with the school councils and things like that to really say gender inclusion, meaningful SOGI inclusion, includes the whole school community. It includes the students, the educators, the staff, the parents, the rest of the community. There's lots of ways that day-to-day practices can really transform what school is like for a student, especially a student who fits within that 2S LGBTQ umbrella or is trans, gender diverse, whatever language they want to use, right? We call people what they want to be called, as we say in my household. But that sense of SOGI123 is meant to give us ways to sort of focus 
they're not always necessarily mutually exclusive and it's absolutely not a linear process at all. I just want to go back to the policy piece mm-hmm. um, for one second, because I think that tends to be a really significant barrier and, and sometimes can mediate what it is that's happening in schools. So without those explicit protections, you know, that tells, you know, maybe teachers that what is and what is not appropriate. And in some of my own PhD research, looking at policies in Alberta, there's as many different policies as there are jurisdictions, right? Like each jurisdiction takes a different approach. And we see sometimes policy approaches that are like every gender and sexually diverse student will be attended to in a case-by-case basis for, you know, their unique needs. Or, um, you know, you'll see different policy approaches that say, like, teachers have to kind of defer to the sensitivities of their communities as they determine curricular and teaching resources that belong in the classroom. I think that makes it really complicated when there isn't that policy. I'm wondering maybe if you could help us understand a little bit about, because I, I think a lot of jurisdictions have responded to the need for policy with that emphasis on like, yes, we will attend to gender diversity and and students who come out and and trans students on a case-by-case basis to ensure that they have what they need. I'm wondering if you can maybe share like, what are the benefits or the pitfalls of that kind of approach? And why is explicit policy the preferred approach? I think the challenge of an individual by individual approach really puts the onus on the student to come out. And so, you know, as I mentioned, like that experience of not knowing if somewhere is safe or like, you know, passing or surviving or whatever it is, is a full-time job. I just, I don't think that is the best way forward to put the onus on a young person to be the one initiating their own welcoming in a school. It's hard enough to be a young person right now. Let's not put initiating their own safety and well-being in a school on their backs also. But I also think like we want to be adaptable. Absolutely. No policy is functional if it's so rigid that it doesn't embrace the diversity of needs. And I think it's really important that we're explicit and specific in our policy. The example of like all students will have access to a washroom that is affirming of their gender. That is not law. That's in New Brunswick's provincial policy. And so that sense of like, you can be specific and explicit while still creating space to be, you know, adaptable. That specific example adapts really well to be like, what is the washroom that you feel safe in? What is a gender affirming washroom for you? Is it a single stall? Is it being able to use the washroom of the gender you identify with? It's open, but it's specific in the sense of like, you get to pee. You get to have a place where you feel safe to take care of your body. We do explicit gender already, right? Like if every individual cis kid had to explicitly ask to have access to a washroom, like that just feels absurd, right? Like if every need of a student needed to be individually met, we would never have the capacity and like no one would be able to go to school. Um, because the, like basic needs wouldn't be met. And so for me, we need explicit policy. We need supportive structures, right? I always think of policy as an enabling structure rather than a punitive one. 
But we also need, you know, in your policy for there to be accountability. If we step back, this isn't just a nice to have. Gender identity and gender expression is protected under the Human Rights Act federally and provincially. The Alberta government still has an inclusive education policy that includes gender identity and gender expression. We are mandated as schools to create places where students have meaningful school experiences. And gender is a social thing, so we can deal with it on a larger scale than individual by individual. I think the other piece is how I like to think about it. A good inclusive policy says, hello, you're welcome here. A policy that asks individuals to say what they need can often come across as what's wrong with you and how can we accommodate it? And so for me, well-written, explicit, specific, welcoming policy sets the tone for the whole division or if you're in a province where it's coming from the provincial level for the whole province we can say to trans and gender diverse students you're welcome here you are so absolutely welcome here as we can to our families and to our staff that is the mandate that's really helpful thank you and i I really appreciate the example that you shared as well i think sometimes when we we see attempts at inclusive policy lose the specifics of student experiences within that, like all students, all like they're just naming all students, but not actually making any specific commitments to how all students will be welcomed. It dilutes the intention, which is to really meet those students where they're at. So I think the example you provided is so fantastic. I'll also just echo to like the legislation is the minimum standard. So there's room to improve. You don't just have to provide the bare minimum. Yes, you're required to, but policy can go beyond that, can really offer opportunities to encourage or create environments for flourishing, not just surviving. And K-12 schools, we are the opportunity to show young folks what they deserve. You engage in this work across Alberta, and the ARC Foundation you mentioned does this work across Canada. I'm wondering if you can share kind of in your experience, how are schools taking up this whole school approach to gender equity? And what are some examples of how this lives? And what are those opportunities and possibilities for schools and school systems that are built around that priority of gender equity and SOGI inclusion? There's so many. And I think part of what's really interesting, you know, sometimes in Alberta, we feel like Nobody wants to be told what to do. Everyone likes to do it their own way. That's very much the culture institutionally in many parts of Alberta. But in Alberta, schools are just doing a lot of really diverse things, which I think is fantastic. So we have examples of like a current school division in Alberta is training all of their staff in SOGI inclusion, giving, making sure that like everyone from, you know, the front desk admin to the janitor has enough of that foundational knowledge to be, you know, putting on that SOGI lens and all being important parts of that piece, right? Like all of those pieces matter. When I was a young trans kid in high school, the person who saw me was the janitor. He was like just this magical human and we hung out together at lunch every day. But this sense of like not putting it on individuals, educators to take a PD day or a teacher convention, take that session, but to really say across our whole division, Everyone will have a base knowledge in order to be looking at our school system with this lens, which to me is just like fantastic. 
other examples like really great pride week um the division that i grew up in does a division-wide pride week where like the superintendent does a message like that means so much to little kids when like the big boss has a video saying we're so excited you're here and you're so welcome here so those pieces of like really showing that the people leading are really on board is exciting for educators but it's also exciting for kids too one of our divisions that we work with got all of their GSAs together across all of the grades. And so there was like elementary to grade 12 GSA students all together, learning together and sort of creating those connections across age, which it was really radical for elementary students to see these cool, older, you know, non-binary kids. Also for the older students to see how different it is for students now, even in those like 12 years they've been going to school. Mm -hmm. That's incredible. Yeah. And like, just so much work. Like, I know I'm talking to teachers, so I'm going to use y'all, but like, y'all are already doing so much. And yet the like, desire to do good work in Alberta is so strong. And just fantastic things are happening. Bathrooms are being converted. Like, how can we take a traditionally gendered washroom and make it gender inclusive without having to rebuild the washroom? Because budgets are tight, right? Like really beautiful, creative problem solving that you know uses facilities and student input one that i really love is a number of school divisions have actually created a survey that they've sent out to parents to students to educators to ask them about what they think of the current state for gender inclusion or soji inclusion in their schools right so really including everyone to give feedback right like what's working what isn't what could we change? What supports do you need? But really taking this whole, like the community approach to the school, even just like, what do you want to learn more about? Right? Like, so the poster that goes up in the staff room is relevant. It can be really challenging to admit that you don't know something. And so Mm -hmm. finding ways to like get feedback from folks about what they need to learn about or what they need more information about that doesn't require them to out themselves as not knowing what that word means or like how to do that thing, that can be really valuable. I go on for like another hour because I am like the cheerleader of these people and I get so much joy. That picture of grade five me on the desk squeals every time I get a phone call from someone who's just letting me know that they're doing this work and the like excited stories and like creating this really substantial web of support and encouragement and affirmation for students of all genders. It's dangerous to pass me the mic on this question because I will (laughs) sing and dance until the sun goes down for sure. Oh, I love that. It can feel intimidating, I think, but also it's really empowering to know that like every context is different and it's not a one size fits all task list, if that makes sense. Like I think the SOGI123 lens is that invitation to all of those key, maybe pillars, we'll call them, but but the lived experience, there's so much opportunity and possibility. And I think tuning into, I like what you said, like tuning into the community, the needs of the community, the context, like who are those people who are the SOGI kind of advocates? And that is really exciting. And I'm, I'm a little jealous that you get to see all of these different beautiful iterations of this approach, because that just fills my heart. And I think for many folks who are engaging in this work, sometimes we tend to focus on the like the barriers and the limitations, which of course need to be addressed. But it's it's so beautiful to know that there's like 
just thriving communities who are taking this up in intentional ways and seeing these really cool uh, outcomes as a result. And to emphasize that this is not work that we do alone. We do this together, right? Mm -hmm. And that's part of like policies, environments, teaching, like there's so many levels that we can operate that matter. Like, what do you want educators to know about supporting it? For me, it's two-pronged. It's like, we don't do this alone. Don't try and do this all by yourself. Like literally go to our website, reach out to me. Like it always makes my day when an educator <laughs> gives me a call. Squealing is not an over-exaggeration of, the, of my, <laughs> my response, right? So like, don't feel like you have to do this alone. Well, also knowing that like all of those little pieces really matter. The little things make a huge impact. A kid might see you like you wear like your little pronoun pin. I wear mine whenever I'm out in community. Just says they, them. Half the time people have to like lean in to read it because it's tiny. But that pin, a kid might see that. And they may never say anything to you, but they know that they could. They know that if when they're ready, if they want to share their pronouns and their name with you, that you're already on board. And that has a huge impact to know that someone's already on board. There will be no extra work. That human will be like, yes, absolutely. Right? So like, don't do it alone. And also recognize that every little piece matters. And so like, let's not expect ourselves to do a thousand and one things, but really honor that like each little practice of inclusion is weaving that web for that young person to be their fantastic, fabulous, authentic self. Oh, brilliant. I love that. What could a teacher do tomorrow to make their classroom a more equitable space for all genders? I know you've provided so many examples thus far about all of those different entry points and those those little things. Uh, Maybe if we could just leave off with some of those things that teachers could do, whether it's resources maybe attitude shifts, paradigm shifts, or or actions. We'd love to hear some of those to wrap us up and get us thinking about translating the, this knowledge, this information, this conversation into, into action. Let's make them all like little snacks. No full <laughs> meals, right? Like love we're it. not, we're learning how to do this. Or maybe you're an expert. I know there's experts out there that could run circles around me. But let's make them like just delicious little morsels of things we could do. So first is you could learn a little bit. You could hop on the Soji123 website. There's videos, there's resources, or you could just even go online. There's so much available that even like a quick little video or something could expand what you know, or even expand the questions that you're asking. Another example could be to read a great book about a gender diverse person or a gender inclusive book. See what your library has. Lots of libraries might have them, and if not, There's really good resources for books that are available. So bringing in a book and reading a book. The secret is to not be like, I'm reading the gender diverse book. Just read the book. And for like all of those magical gender unicorns, they'll be so excited to hear it. And for everyone else, it'll be a great story. In that sense, that's planting seeds to expand their mind. Other examples, I love a good poster. So the idea of like putting up, I know the ATA has like safer spaces, posters in Alberta, but like putting up a poster that basically says all genders are welcome. And the great thing about a visual representation is we catch all those humans who aren't ready to be out. And you don't have to be out to read a poster and feel affirmed. Imagine the pronoun pin. They're great. They're subtle and they're often quite stylish. 
and practicing that gender inclusive language. Like get creative. What can you say instead of boys and girls? I call little people squidlets all the time. They find that terribly amusing, but the sense of like, push, like just be creative, have fun with it. How else could we sort students in that sense of expanding our gender inclusive language, but also just like really embracing diversity. What else is going on in your classroom, which is a fun way for students to learn about each other. And then the last piece is really just how do you add that gender diversity to a lesson plan? Just a little snippet, right? That math question, a little piece of gender inclusive biology, because binary gender doesn't hold up outside of humans either. There's actually a website that's gender inclusive biology that has some great little teaching examples, but just put a nugget in there. So G123 isn't a curriculum about teaching about gender identity. It's about the day-to-day practices we do, those little snacks that creates that inclusive classroom. Is that a nice little snack buffet of little things we could do? Absolutely. Love it. And also, yeah, I just think like this is, again, so attainable. As we think about the complex web of the school experience, these are really attainable entry points into engaging in this work and really great ways to like model that for colleagues as well. Like what a fantastic way to like invite your colleagues to participate by handing out pronoun pins at a staff meeting. These are things that that are doable for teachers who are already holding up so much of student experiences as part of their day-to-day lives. Like what a really great way to make big change with these small steps. Yeah. And have fun. There's actually such great opportunity to like inject joy and and happiness into this work that I just encourage that. Have fun with it. Be silly with it. You can have lots of joy and still be totally serious about gender equity. Amazing. Well, thank you, Daily Lang. Thank you so, so much for sharing your knowledge, your expertise and yourself and your stories as part of this conversation today. We really appreciate it. For folks who are listening, you can check out our episode notes for uh, those links that Daily mentioned in our conversation. And of course, you can reach out to them as well through the ARC Foundation. As you think about bringing this learning and this different way of approaching gender equity into your classroom, into your school. Thank you for doing the work, everyone out there. I know you're doing a great job. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of The Pod Class, a podcast from Everactive Schools that inspires educators with ideas for happy, healthy, classrooms and schools a special thanks to matthew wood for composing and performing the theme music you can follow us on instagram and twitter at everactiveab on facebook at everactive schools or you can head on over to our website at everactive.org for more great content and resources of course until next time the pod class is dismissed <laughs>